Book Four, Sections Twenty One through Twenty Three of King Cole. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. King Cole by Upton Sinclair. Book Four: The Will of King Cole, Section Twenty One. Soon after dinner, the kidnapped committee arrived, bedraggled in body and weary in soul. They inquired for Johann Hartmann, and were sent up to the room, where there followed a painful scene. Eight men and a woman, who had ventured an act of heroism, and been made the victims of a crime, could not easily be persuaded to see their efforts and sacrifices thrown on the dump-heap, nor were they timid in expressing their opinions of those who were betraying them. "'You've been trying to get us out!' cried Tim Rafferty. Ever since I can remember, you've been at my old man to help you, and here, when we do what you ask, you throw us down. We never asked you to go on strike, said Moylan. No, that's true. You only asked us to pay dues, so you fellows could have fat salaries. Our salaries aren't very fat, replied the young leader patiently. You'd find that out if you investigated. "'Well, whatever they are, they go on, while ours stop. "'We're on the streets. We're done for. "'Look at us, and most of us has got families, too. "'I got an old mother and a lot of brothers and sisters, "'and my old man done up and can't work. "'What do you think's to become of us?' "'We'll help you out a little, Rafferty.' "'To hell with you!' cried Tim. "'I don't want your help. "'When I need charity, I'll go to the county.' They're another bunch of grafters, but they don't pretend to be friends to the workin' man. Here was the thing Tom Olson had told Hal at the outset. The working men bedeviled, not knowing whom to trust, suspecting the very people who most desired to help them. Tim, he put in, there's no use talking like that. We have to learn patience. And the boy turned upon Hal. "'What do you know about it? It's all a joke to you. You can go off and forget it when you get ready. You've got money, they tell me.' Hal felt no resentment at this. It was what he heard from his own conscience. "'It isn't so easy for me as you think, Tim. There are other ways of suffering besides not having money.' "'Much suffering you'll do with your rich folks,' sneered Tim." There was a murmur of protest from others of the committee. "'Good God, Rafferty!' broke in Moylan. "'We can't help it, man. We're just as helpless as you.' "'You say you're helpless, but you don't even try.' "'Try? Do you want us to back a strike that we know hasn't a chance? You might as well ask us to lie down and let a load of coal run over us. We can't win, man.' I tell you we can't win. We'd only be throwing away our organization. Moylan became suddenly impassioned. He had seen a dozen sporadic strikes in this district, and many a dozen young strikers, homeless, desolate, embittered, turning their disappointment on him. We might support you with our funds, you say. We might go on doing it, even while the company ran the mine with scabs. But where would that land us, Rafferty? I seen many a union on the rocks, and I ain't so old, either. 
If we had a bank, we'd support all the miners of the country. They'd never need to work again till they got their rights. But this money we spend is the money that other miners are earning. Right now, down in the pits, Rafferty, the same as you and your old man. They give us this money, and they say, Use it to build up the union. Use it to help the men that aren't organized. Take them in, so they won't beat down our wages and scab on us. But don't waste it, for God's sake. We have to work hard to make it, and if we don't see results, you'll get no more out of us. Don't you see how that is, man? And how it weighs on us? Worse even than the fear that maybe we'll lose our poor salaries, though you might refuse to believe anything so good of us? You don't need to talk to me like I was Peter Harrigan's son. I was a spragger when I was ten years old, and I ain't been out of the pits so long that I've forgot the feeling. I assure you, the thing that keeps me awake at night ain't the fear of not getting a livin', for I give myself a bit of education, working nights, and I know I could always turn out and earn what I need. But it's wondering whether I'm spendin' the miners' money the best way, whether maybe I mightn't save them a little misery if I hadn't a done this or had a done that. When I come down on that sleeper last night, here's what I was thinking, Tim Rafferty. All the time I listened to the train bumping. Now I got to see some more of the suffering. I got to let some good men turn against us, because they can't see why we should get salaries while they get the sack. How am I going to show them that I'm working for them, working as hard as I know how, and that I'm not to blame for their trouble. Here Warhope broke in. There's no use talking any more. I see we're up against it. We'll not trouble you, Moylan. You trouble me, cried Moylan, unless you stand by the movement. The other laughed bitterly. You'll never know what I do. It's the road for me, and you know it. Well, wherever you go, it'll be the same. Either you'll be fighting for the Union, or you'll be a weight that we have to carry. The young leader turned from one to another of the committee, pleading with them not to be embittered by this failure, but to turn it to their profit, going on with the work of building up the solidarity of the miners. Every man had to make his sacrifices, to pay his part of the price. The thing of importance was that every man who is discharged should be a spark of unionism, carrying the flame of revolt to a new part of the country. Let each one do his part, and there would soon be no place to which the masters could send for scabs. End of section 21 Section 22 There was one member of this committee whom Hal watched with a special anxiety, Mary Burke. She had not yet said a word. While the others argued and protested, she sat with her lips set and her hands clenched. Hal knew what rage this failure must bring to her. She had risen and struggled and hoped, and the result was what she had always said it would be, nothing. Now he saw her, with eyes large and dark with fatigue, fixed on this fiery young labor leader. He knew that a war must be going on within her, 
Would she drop out entirely now? It was the test of her character, as it was the test of the characters of all of them. "'If only we're strong enough and brave enough,' Jim Moylan was saying, "'we can use our defeats to educate our people and bring them together. Right now, if we can make the men at North Valley see what we're doing, they won't go back beaten, they won't be bitter against the Union, they'll only go back to wait. And ain't that a way to beat the bosses? To hold our jobs and keep the Union alive till we've got into all the camps and can strike and win?" There was a pause. Then Mary spoke. "'How are you meanin' to tell the men?' Her voice was without emotion, but nevertheless Hal's heart leaped. Whether Mary had any hope or not, she was going to stay in line with the rest of the ants. Johann Hartmann explained his idea. He would have circulars printed in several languages and distributed secretly in the camp, ordering the men back to work. But Jerry met this suggestion with a prompt no. The people would not believe the circulars. They would suspect the bosses of having them printed. Hadn't the bosses done worse than that, framing up a letter from Joe Smith to balk the Czech Weyman movement? The only thing that would help would be for some of the committee to get into the camp and see the men face to face. "'And it got to be quick,' Jerry insisted. "'They get notice to work in mourning, and them that don't be fired. They be the best men, too, men we want to save.' Other members of the committee spoke up, agreeing with this. Said Rusick, the Slav, slow-witted and slow-spoken, them fellers get mighty damn sore if they lose their job and don't got no strike. And Zamachus, the Greek, quick and nervous, We say strike, we got to say no strike. What could they do? There was, in the first place, the difficulty of getting away from the hotel, which was being watched by the spotters. Hartman suggested that if they went out altogether and scattered, the detectives could not follow all of them. Those who escaped might get into North Valley by hiding in the empties which went up to the mine. But Moylan pointed out that the company would be anticipating this, and Rusick, who had once been a hobo, put in, They sure search them cars. They give us plenty hell, too, when they catch us. Yes, it would be a dangerous mission. Mary spoke again. Maybe a lady could do it better. They beat a lady, said Minetti. I know, but maybe a lady might fool them. There's some widows that came to Pedro for the funerals, and they're wearin' veils that hide their faces. I might pretend to be one of them and get into the camp. The men looked at one another. There was an idea. The scowl which had stayed upon the face of Tim Rafferty ever since his quarrel with Moylan gave place suddenly to a broad grin. "'I seen Mrs. Zamboni on the street,' said he. "'She had on black veils enough to hide the lot of us.' And here Hal spoke, for the first time since Tim Rafferty had silenced him. "'Does anybody know where to find Mrs. Zamboni?' 
She stay with my friend, Mrs. Swajka, said Rusick. Well, said Hal, there's something you people don't know about this situation. After they had fired you, I made another speech to the men, and made them swear they'd stay on strike. So now I've got to go back and eat my words. If we're relying on veils and things, a man can be fixed up as well as a woman. They were staring at him. They'll beat you to death if they catch you, said Warhope. No, said Hal, I don't think so. Anyhow, it's up to me, he glanced at Tim Rafferty, because I'm the only one who doesn't have to suffer for the failure of our strike. There was a pause. I'm sorry I said that, cried Tim impulsively. That's all right, old man, replied Hal. What you said is true, and I'd like to do something to ease my conscience. He rose to his feet, laughing. I'll make a peach of a widow, he said. I'm going up and have a tea party with my friend Jeff Cotton. End of section 22 Section 23 Hal proposed going to find Mrs. Zamboni at the place where she was staying, but Moylan interposed, objecting that the detectives would surely follow him. Even though they should all go out of the hotel at once, the one person the detective would surely stick to was the arch-rebel and troublemaker Joe Smith. Finally they decided to bring Mrs. Zamboni to the room. Let her come with Mrs. Swajka or some other woman who spoke English, and go to the desk and ask for Mary Burke, explaining that Mary had borrowed money from her, and that she had to have it to pay the undertaker for the burial of her man. The hotel clerk might not know who Mary Burke was, but the watchful spotters would gather about and listen, and if it was mentioned that Mary was from North Valley, someone would connect her with the kidnapped committee. This was made clear to Rusick, who hurried off, and in the course of half an hour returned with the announcement that the women were on the way. A few minutes later came a tap on the door, and there stood the black-garbed old widow with her friend. She came in, and then came looks of dismay and horrified exclamations. Rusick was requesting her to give up her weeds to Joe Smith. "'She say she don't got nothing else,' explained the Slav. "'Tell her I give her plenty money, buy more,' said Hal. "'Ay, Jesu!' cried Mrs. Zamboni, pouring out a sputtering torrent. She say she don't got nothing to put on. She say it ain't good to go no clothes. Hasn't she got on a petticoat? She say petticoat got holes. There was a burst of laughter from the company, and the old woman turned scarlet from her forehead to her ample throat. Tell her she wrap up in blankets, said Hal. Mary Burke, buy her new things. It proved surprisingly difficult to separate Mrs. Zamboni from her widow's weeds, which she had purchased with so great an expenditure of time and tears. Never had a respectable lady who had borne sixteen children 
received such a proposition, to sell the insignia of her grief, and here in a hotel room, crowded with a dozen men. Nor was the task made easier by the unseemly merriment of the men. "'Ay, Jesu!' cried Mrs. Zamboni again. "'Tell her it's very, very important,' said Hal. "'Tell her I must have them.' And then, seeing that Rusick was making poor headway, he joined in, in the compromise English one learns in the camps. "'Got to have! Sure thing! Got to hide! Quick! Get away from boss! See? Get killed if no go!' So at last the frightened old woman gave way. "'She say all turn backs,' said Rusick. And everybody turned, laughing in hilarious whispers, while, with Mary Burke and Mrs. Swajka for a shield, Mrs. Zamboni got out of her waist and skirt, putting a blanket round her red shoulders for modesty's sake. When Hal put the garments on, there was a foot to spare all round, but after they had stuffed two bed-pillows down in the front of him, and drawn them tight at the waistline, the disguise was judged more satisfactory. He put on the old lady's ample, if ragged, shoes, and Mary Burke set the widow's bonnet on his head and adjusted the many veils. After that, Mrs. Zamboni's own brood of children would not have suspected the disguise. It was a merry party for a few minutes. Worn and hopeless as Mary had seemed, she was possessed now by the spirit of fun. But then quickly the laughter died. The time for action had come. Mary Burke said that she would stay with what was left of Mrs. Zamboni, to answer the door in case any of the hotel people or the detectives should come. Hal asked Jim Moylan to see Edward, and say that Hal was writing a manifesto to the North Valley workers, and would not be ready to leave until the midnight train. These things agreed upon, Hal shook hands all round, and the eleven men left the room at once, going downstairs and through the lobby, scattering in every direction on the streets. Mrs. Swajka and the pseudo-Mrs. Zamboni followed a minute later, and, as they anticipated, found the lobby swept clear of detectives. End of section 23